0: Well, what a joy to be with you all today. My name is Joe Gordon. I just got off the plane from uh, India yesterday, and I get back on the plane to India tomorrow. So if you know anything about uh, jet lag, then uh, I'm uh, pretty experienced in it. Yesterday, I got off the plane and uh, got news when I landed that one of my close friends passed away in India, died of a heart attack yesterday. So I'll be getting back for a funeral as soon as I get off the plane tomorrow. So. Uh, Pray with me that my mind would be clear this morning. You know, all of us face challenges and tragedies in our life, and the key is to keep Jesus at the center, that our life is lived for the Lord Jesus Christ, that this life is temporal, it is just passing by, that everything we do is for one purpose, and that is that Jesus Christ would be glorified in all the earth. It's hard for me to leave my family. When I left the past uh, couple of weeks where I live in the mountains, we've been snowed in. We haven't had electricity, and it's been uh, below zero where I live. I mean, really cold. So you wake up in the morning, and your water bottle is frozen next to the bed, and uh, it's, it's hard to get going in the morning. So when I left my wife and kids to come to Florida, you know, I didn't get a lot of prayers on the way out the doors. So uh, they were all just wondering, Dad, why aren't you taking us with you? <laughs> So here we are. So uh, I'll be glad to get home to see them to suffer with them again, but I'm glad to have gotten a bath. It's hard to take a bath when your bathroom is zero degrees. <laughs> so uh, it's nice to be here. So I'm going to talk to you this morning from the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah has really been in my heart the past few weeks as the Lord has brought this to me. And I just want to share with you a few verses of scripture, Jonah chapter one in verse one. Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And we all know the story, or many of you know the story of of the sailors then. They start to seek because they know this isn't a a natural phenomenon. This must be from God. So who's responsible? And they come to know that Jonah is responsible. So Jonah is thrown out of the boat, but God provided a fish. You know, a lot of times we think of the fish as a bad thing. The fish is what God provided to save Jonah from the storm that he provided to shake Jonah up. (laughs) And I want to tell you that God loves the law so much that he will send storms into your life to get you out of your comfort, to get you back to where he needs you to go. And sometimes to take you back, God will make a dirty fish to swallow you to take you to where you need to go. So Jonah then, in the belly of the fish, he calls out on the name of the Lord. The fish spits him out on dry ground, and and then we come to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it. The message I give you. Jonah obeyed and the word of the Lord went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's an amazing story, isn't it? Well, a couple of things I want you to remember. Our story is usually longer than it needs to be. Our story is usually longer than it needs to be. How many of you realize that the book of Jonah should have only been one chapter? All you need is chapter three. God spoke to Jonah, Jonah went to Nineveh, Nineveh repented. End of story. Wow, what great things God has done. But how many of you have a story like that? No, most of us have a story like Jonah's story. Our story is a whole lot longer than it needs to be. You see, the story of Jonah is that God called Jonah, Jonah ran away, God sent a storm, Jonah's in the belly of a fish, Jonah calls on the name of the Lord, God calls Jonah again, Jonah preaches the gospel, the people repent, Jonah gets angry, Jonah goes on a mountain to pout, God sends him a plant to cover him, God sends a worm to eat the plant, and then God God sends an east wind to break him down, and then God shows him his truth. Now, most of you have a story that greatly resembles that. Amen? <laughs> Most of us in our life have stories of starting and stopping, that there is a time that we're obedient and going after God. We want to do the things of God. And then things in life tend to distract us and get us off course. Let me tell you, disobedience leads to unnecessary pain in our lives. Disobedience leads to unnecessary pain in our lives lies. It will cost you and everyone around you. You see, the men on the boat, they were innocent. They just happened to be close to a disobedient man. (laughs) And there are many people in your life that suffer because of your disobedience. There are many people in your life that suffer the consequences. We live in a fallen world where the effects of sin not only affect us, it affects the people around us. How many of you have ever been affected by somebody else's disobedience? How many of you have ever affected others by your disobedience? Fewer hands, more liars. (laughs) Reluctant obedience is not much better than disobedience. You see, at the end, Jonah reluctantly did what God told him to do, but he still suffered. What God is looking for is a people that love him and serve him from the depths of their heart. When we think about missions, when we think about giving, when we think about going, there should be a desire deep in our spirits, deep in our heart to say, God, please use me. You see, my story is a long story. And the reason it's a long story is it took me a long time to decide to obey God, to decide to follow after God. When I was 15 years old, I was an alcoholic. I had nowhere to turn. By the time I was 20 years old, my life was out of control. And then when I was 20 years old, Jesus found me and he changed me. He set me free. He gave me life. He gave me hope. And he restarted my story. And that is the God that we serve, a God that can take us and restart the story. You see, Jonah, despite all of his disobedience, his disobedience didn't lead to the end. God set the story straight again. And God can set your story straight. You know, we actually see in the story of Jonah that even when he was on the boat disobeying God, that God still redeems the story. And God caused every sailor on the ship to call on his name. Isn't that amazing, the God that we serve? That God can take us in our disobedience and He can redeem the story because all things work together for good to those who love God. God can take your disobedience and and take your sin. God can take all the bad things in your life and redeem it for His glory. You know, I came from a situation, I was also affected by the sins of others. My parents left when I was a teenager, I was alone, and and that caused so much pain and agony in my life. And And that story could have been the story that destroyed me. Instead, it was part of the story that has made me who I am. So that today in India, I've also been a part of starting three children's homes where orphan and abandoned children have been able to come in and find life and have hope. And we have hundreds of boys and girls today who love Jesus, who had nowhere to turn because God redeemed my story. And God can redeem your story. No matter how far you have gone away, God's plans and God's purposes are without repentance. It doesn't matter how old you are, how far you've gone. God's plans and purposes are still as real today as they were the day that God called you. You know feel so blessed. Uh, uh, Pastor Ed mentioned that uh, that uh, I'm, I'm probably not called. I, I don't call myself a missionary. I'm just an unemployed plumber because uh, I don't have work as a plumber, and, and, and I don't know that God called me to be a missionary, but I just decided somebody needed to do something, so that's why I'm in India. I was at Southeastern Bible College, and Sister Ruth Bruch, one of my professors there, just a godly woman who had served as a missionary to India, and I was in her class, and she was talking about India one day and and the great needs in India. So I went up to her after class, and I said, Sister Bruce, this isn't right. You're telling me there's a place with a billion people who haven't heard about Jesus? And she said, that's right. I said, 2,000 years after he told us to go into all the world, there's 500,000 villages that don't have a church? And she said, that's right. I said, it's not right. Somebody needs to do something about it. She said, I agree with you. And I said, how about me? She said, how about you? I said, send me. I'm ready to go. She said, I don't have any money. I said, introduce me to a missionary with money. And she introduced me to David Grant. He bought me a ticket. I went to India. That was 30 years ago, and I'm still there, still waiting on my call. Maybe God will maybe God'll call me one day. But there is a heart to say, God, you changed my life, and I know that you can change the lives all over the world. God wants to use you as a part of his redemption story. Our stories are longer than they need to be, but God still uses us as we are. The second thing I want you to remember is that God loves the law so much that he will not easily let you go. God loves the law so much that he will not easily let you go. Timothy Keller, one of my my favorite preachers, he, he pointed out recently that the story of Jonah is very much pointed out in the story of the prodigal son. The first part of Jonah, chapters 1 and 2, are the story of of the prodigal prophet, the prodigal son. As the prodigal son ran away from God, ran away from his father, so Jonah ran away from God. And God, loving him so much, as God sent a famine on the prodigal son, God sent sent a storm in the life of the prodigal prophet. You see that the prodigal son was, was in the pig pen, And Jonah was in the belly of the whale. And both of them called again, and they came to themselves and called. And then they returned to the place they were supposed to go. And then you also see in Jonah chapter 3 and 4 how he is also just like the older brother. He does what God tells him to do, but he's mad when God shows mercy. It's amazing how those stories are so similar. But I believe that if you actually look at Luke chapter 15 where this story takes place, you will actually see the real problem of the prodigal son and the real problem of the older brother is that they don't understand the love of the father. You see, Luke chapter 15 starts with this, Luke 15, 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, the problem that the older brother had and the problem that Jonah had was the same is that they were upset that God loved people that they hated. That can be very upsetting for us to understand that God loves people that you and I hate. God loves people that have hurt us. God loves people that despise us. God loves people that we have despised. You see, the problem that Jonah faced was this, is that Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and at that moment, the Assyrian Empire and Israel were at war together. At that moment, the Assyrian Empire, which is known as one of the most brutal empires in history, they were wreaking havoc on Israel. They were destroying Israel. And now God calls this Hebrew Jewish prophet to go to the enemy and to preach to them. And Jonah just couldn't wrap his mind around the idea that his God would love people that he hated. But let me tell you, our God loves everyone. God loves your enemies. God loves the people you despise. You see, he tells us then to to help them to understand this idea. He told them this parable of a shepherd going and looking for his sheep. And he describes it as this shepherd has a hundred sheep. And one morning he notices one of the sheep has gone astray, but he's in the open country. And it says that the shepherd loved the one sheep so much that he left the 99 in danger in the open country to go and search for the one lost sheep. And I love this phrase. It says, The shepherd searched until, say it with me, until, not until he got tired. Not until it got dark, not until he thought he would lose the other sheep, not until he had to cross a river, not until he had to climb a mountain, not until he came to the place where the thieves are, where it was dangerous, but he searched until he found the sheep. And when he found the sheep, he doesn't even make it walk home. He puts it on his shoulder and walks into the village and says to everyone, I lost my sheep and now he's found. Come and rejoice with me. I'm going to throw a party. Now, I'm hoping they didn't have lamb barbecue that night, but, but they had a party and there was excitement that a lost thing came home. That is the God that we serve. The God that searches until he finds. And you and I are called to join with the searching God. The reason that 2,000 years after the death of Christ... That half of our world has yet to hear the gospel is that the majority of the remaining unreached in our world today live in dangerous, hard to access, difficult places on this world that cost us everything and we have decided the cost of reaching them is too much. We search until it affects our family. We search until it gets a little costly. We we search after a certain age. We search after a certain time. We are not joining with the God who desires desperately to bring lost things back to himself. And let me tell you that God loves the lost so much that he will bring storms into your life. He will bring worms into your life. He will bring hot winds into your life to set you back on a trajectory of joining with him in his search. Much of the trouble we face in our life, I I often feel sorry for the devil. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's bad. But man, he gets a lot more blame than he needs. A storm comes in your life. Devil, get behind me. And he said, said, what did I do? (laughs) That was God. (laughs) I didn't have anything to do with that. God, this worm is eating up my stuff. I I tend to build stuff, and then it gets eaten up, and it's gone. Devil, you can't have my stuff. What did I do? The devil had nothing to do with the storm. The devil had nothing to do with the worm. The devil had nothing to do with a hot wind. It all had to do with a prophet who was disobedient to God, a prophet who was reluctant to obey God, a prophet who didn't have the heart of God. And let me tell you, God loves the lost so much that he will inconvenience your life to get you on a path to bring the lost back to himself. God is not foremost interested in your comfort. God is not foremost interested in your convenience. There will be in a day that we will walk streets of gold, that we will live in the mansion of our Lord. There will be a day that there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain. But that day is not today. Today is a day to join the Lord in His search wherever that will take us. God loves the law so much that He's willing to inconvenience your life. When we were going up to the hills of India the first time, we knew God was calling us, and, and we found out my wife was, uh, was pregnant with our third son. And so, uh, so before going, we had the baby. That area, there's no hospitals there, so, so we had the child. And, and Caleb, our youngest son, when he was born, The doctors told us a few months before, it looks like some things aren't right and we're going to have to check him out after he was born. And then when he was born, the doctors told us he only has one kidney. And uh, this could be really dangerous because if you're in an area where there's no hospital and we don't know why the one kidney didn't develop, it may affect the other kidney. And if you're in that area and his kidney fails, your son is going to die. You can't take your son to that place. And my wife and I prayed, God, what are we going to do? I felt like running. I felt like going the opposite direction. I felt like going up on a hill and pouting about God's love for the lost. God, you would love the lost so much that you would put my son in danger. It didn't seem right. But we decided that the God who loved us, And gave his son to die for us. That the God who sacrificed everything for us was a God worthy of trust. And we decided to say, God, you love the lost. God, we love the lost. We trust our son into your hands. And so we took our son up to that place. After a few years being there and serving in that area, we came out uh, after a time to go to a hospital in Bangkok. And uh, we went to the hospital. I do love my son, and I want the best for him. So we took him in to get tests done. And and after a day of tests, the doctor came out looking really surprised. And he's got these old x-rays that show my son with one kidney. And now he's got some new x-rays in his hands. And he says, I don't know what to tell you, but your son has two kidneys now. Let me tell you, the best thing you can do for your family is to live in the center of the will of God. Because when you put God first in your life, when you trust the Lord, God is always faithful. But there is another principle when we die to ourselves, people live. When we live for ourselves, people die. When we die to ourselves, people live. When we live for ourselves, people die. You see, by dying to our and taking to our son to that place, today in that area, we have seen over a dozen Buddhist monks come to the Lord. There are churches in that area today, and lives are being changed today because when we die to ourselves, people live. When Jonah finally died to himself, a whole city lived. And let me tell you, when you and I begin to die to our ambitions and our dreams and our desires, on that day, the city of Orlando will live. The cities of the world will live. When we determine the kingdom of God is more important than my little kingdom, the things of God are more important than my little things, when we do that, people's lives will be changed. Amen. God loves the lost so much that He will inconvenience your life to get you back on His path of searching. And finally, God is not as narrow-minded as me. God is not as narrow-minded as me, and He's not as narrow-minded as you. Amen? You see, when... When God shows up and God shows that he loves all people regardless of their title, it threw Jonah off. You remember the very first time they asked him, who are you? Where do you come from? What job do you do? The first thing that Jonah did in identifying himself, Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. You know what he's saying to them? I'm better than you. I'm different than you. I'm not supposed to eat with you. I'm not supposed to talk with you. I'm not supposed to be with you. I am other. You know, a lot of people define themselves by otherness, what makes us different, instead of describing ourselves in unity, what makes us alike. There are things that make us different, but there's a whole lot of things that make us alike. Every one of us sitting in this room, we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So ethnicity really doesn't matter as much as we think it does. It's just the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us one people, one tribe, one nation. We are one in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the same blood flows through our veins. It is the blood of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what unites us is far greater than what divides us. God is not nearly as narrow-minded as I am. Jonah was only concerned for his own nation. You see, Jonah tells us later that the real issue Jonah had was, I'm not afraid to preach because they might kill me. I'm not afraid to preach because I don't like them. I'm afraid to preach because, God, you might forgive them. And if you forgive them, then they're going to come to my church. And I don't like the kind of stuff they eat. And I don't like how they smell. And I don't like how they look. And God, if I actually go out and do what you're calling me to do, it may change the very fabric of our community. And I really don't want that. Hmm. This is what's really good about preaching one day and going home the next. (laughs) You can just leave Pastor Ed to figure all this out. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1, after the Lord repented and God forgave them. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now the Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And God replies to him, is it right for you to be angry? You know what God is saying to him? You weren't so angry when I forgave you, were you? You didn't think in your mind of all the people you had hurt who could have been angry when I forgave you, did you? When God forgave us, we were just so glad to receive it, we didn't think, God, this isn't right. God, remember all the bad things I've done. Remember all the people I've hurt. God, if you forgive me, that is not justice to the people I've hurt. I'm mad that you're forgiving me. How many of you ever felt that? No, we're just so glad to receive it. God, thank you for forgiving me. But when God forgives someone we don't like, when God forgives someone we, we, that has hurt us, we are angry that God would choose to love people who have hurt us. Because we don't understand the mercy, the grace, the loving kindness of God. And then God says this, verse 10 But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand? from the left. Should I not be concerned with Syria? Should I not be concerned with Afghanistan? Should I not be concerned with Saudi Arabia? And you may say like Jonah, but those aren't my towns. Those aren't my people. They're not my responsibility. But God tells us our responsibility is to the world. Our responsibility is to all place, people in all places. You see, in the kingdom of God, it is not an either-or scenario. It is a both-and scenario. In the kingdom of God, it is not either reach Orlando or reach North Africa, it is not either reach your family or reach the families of the hills of India. In the kingdom of God, it is both and that you and I have a responsibility to our city and our community and our friends and our neighbors and our families as well as having a responsibility for every tribe and every tongue and every people in every nation. You can't say, God hasn't called me. The day you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were bound by His command to be His witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is the call for the whole church. And if the whole world is to hear the whole gospel, it will take the initiative of the whole church. It will not be done by a special class of hero superstars who go out. If the whole world is going to hear the whole gospel, then every part of this body, no matter how frail it may look, no matter how little money they may have, no matter how little talent they may have, until every part of the body joins together and binds together to the purposes of God, we will not see the whole gospel being impacted in the whole world. Jesus, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Yes, God cares about our nation, our city, our community, our family, and me, but no more or no less than the world around me. So what is it that makes the world so different? As Pastor Ed said, today, if you're just looking at people who are lost— this is America today has the third largest population of lost people in the world. So, so you may say, aren't we good just focusing on our nation? I mean, there's not that many people in Northern Ireland. There's not that many people in Ireland. There are nations of the world that only have 100,000 people. So, so why should we care about that when there's so many lost people around us? I'll give you one word. Access. Everybody say access. You know, not too long ago, I went up in the hills. I I, I try to get up in the hills whenever I can. So, I get in my truck. I had some young Indian guys with me. I get in my truck and we drive through the mountains for 12 hours. And I, I live at 7,500 feet in the mountains and we went up from there. So, we go 12 hours up in the mountains. I get out of the car. I had, I had my driver with me and I said, Okay, bring the car around to the other side of the mountain and pick us up. So, we start walking. 10 days later, we, we walk through the mountains and every day we would go to one or two villages and we would sit with people and talk with people and we would go and spend the night in homes and share with people, and after 10 days, we get to the end of the road, and my friend picked us up, and then we drive another 10 hours to go back home. So so we were out for 12 days. In two days of driving, in 10 days of walking, having met thousands of people, I met not one person who had heard the name of Jesus. I did not cross one church. I did not see one Bible. There was no Christian radio, there was no Christian TV, there was absolutely zero access to the gospel. Let me tell you, there are lost people in America, and they need to be reached, and that's why you live here. (laughs) That's why you exist, is to reach them. But the fact is, for most of you, to come to church today, you had to drive past four or five other churches. When you woke up this morning, if you cut on the TV, there would have been somebody preaching to you there in the TV. When you turn on the radio, if you flip through the channels, you can hear somebody proclaiming the name of Jesus. When you go to work tomorrow, there's somebody at your workplace that probably knows Jesus. When you go to school, there's somebody in your school that probably knows Jesus. And that is a good thing. That is a thing called access. And praise the Lord, America has access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's your responsibility to make sure that nobody in America dies without hearing the name of Jesus Christ. But you and I can live out our life here in America and live for Jesus well. America would be reached, but India will still remain untouched. Because for the majority of Indians, they've never met a believer. They've never seen a church. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And if somebody doesn't go, and if somebody doesn't send them, then they are never going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sadly, many of us are like Jonah. We just don't care. If I showed you a picture of a starving child, you'd want to do something about it. But if you see a people who have never tasted the bread of life, who have no hope, somehow it doesn't affect us. And I pray that the Lord today would shake your hearts during this mission week, that he would stir you doing during this time, that everyone in this building would rise up and say, God, here am I, send me. Let me go to the nations. And God, if you don't let me go, then let me invest. And God, if I don't have much to invest, then I'm going to be praying. But God, whatever I can do, I want to live out my life for one goal, that everybody in this world has the chance to know the God who changed my life. Just this week, And when I left uh, on Thursday in my home, there was a young man named Guljar Hussein who was in my house. And Guljar Hussein is from a valley up high in the mountains. Over 100,000 people live in that valley. Guljar worked in my trekking company for a while. He used to go out and help us guide treks. And through that, I got to talk with him about Jesus. And, and Guljar gave his heart to Jesus and started following the Lord. He went to Bible school. And now Guljar went back to that area. And when he went back, his father locked him up in a room and beat him mercilessly. And he was able to escape after some time. But he didn't go away. He just kept serving. And he came to my house just this last week, and we spent a week together just praying and dreaming together because he was getting ready to go back to preach in that area. He knows the dangers, he knows it may cost him his life, but he's driven by this idea Jesus Christ loved me so much, he gave his life for me. Who am I to hold my life back from him? He's driven to see his father, to see his mother, to see his family, to see his people represented around the throne of God. And so he's going back. When you're investing in missions, you're investing in people like Gulzar. You're investing in a people who are giving themselves to do whatever it takes to make sure everyone has a chance to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.